So our guest today is Thomas Christie. And you know what, Thomas? I don't even know your official title. You're with the Lincoln Public Schools. You're the diversity person. So tell us what your official title has been at Lincoln Public Schools. And you have how many different titles have you had? Three. Three, okay. I'm presently the administrator for school and community multicultural education. Okay, and you've been a teacher. As a teacher. And for about 20 years, teacher, coach, taught sociology and history. Okay, and. I coached, and um, I was an administrator at Northeast High School. Okay, so a building years. administrator. Yeah. So, how. How many, and you're on the verge of retirement, we're, re, we're recording this in May, yes. and you said that the end of June is your official retirement from Lincoln Public Schools. How many years uh, did, did, have you invested in the children of Lincoln? Forty-three. Forty-three. And the, the woman sitting here next to me is awfully quiet. I know that the two of you were uh, very close co-workers for quite a long time. Yes. So I'm going to... We we were we were both social studies teachers, so we had that. Oh, I didn't I didn't have that connection. Yeah, we oh. had that in common. That's probably where we knew each other first. And I taught at Goodrich Middle School, and Thomas was at Lincoln High School, and Goodrich kids went to Lincoln High, mm -hmm. so we had some shared students. Mm -hmm. And then just over the course of years, lots of different ways, lots of different mm -hmm. multicultural experiences, efforts to recruit. Um, diverse teachers to Lincoln, efforts to develop um, high school students into teachers, um, efforts to increase our own cultural competence, ours individually and ours collectively. So, you know, we've had, we've had lots of ventures together. Absolutely. Let me start by a uh, simple question. What's your Lincoln story? Are you a native of Lincoln or you moved here from Minnesota or wherever? No, I was born in South Carolina. South Carolina, okay. When and it was segregated. Uh-huh. I uh, started in segregated schools. Um, and um, it was, I had a, um, a tough early start. Uh, my mother died when I was two weeks old. Oh, gosh. And uh, my father had been like a sharecropper and, uh -huh. and other things of making a living. And nine months later, I was number five. My mother was 29 and my father was 30. And he went to Philadelphia looking for work. And my aunt, who took care of me from two weeks on, um, tried to take care of us, but couldn't do it um, because there was no income, really. Mm -hmm. Because the old, my oldest sibling at the time was 13. And I was, you know, nine months about that age time. And so uh, we were split up with family members on my father's side. And uh, and we moved into a little town with my grand. I did with my brother, my sister, and my aunt and grandparents, her parents. In a little town called Saluda, South Carolina, which is about 40 miles uh, I think north of Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Um, and 40 miles from Columbia, South Carolina, the capital. So it was very segregated at the time, 1952. Um, and eventually my siblings started to move 
uh, once uh, my oldest sibling graduated, she went to D.C. looking for, I mean, went to uh, Philadelphia looking for mm -hmm. better opportunities. She ended up in D.C. after getting married. And then uh, my sister next to me went to Philadelphia to live with my father. She was six years older. And my brother, um, once he graduated from high school, uh, uh, he went to Philadelphia and uh, he ended up getting married and he would come back and get me. And because the South was still segregated, even though, you know, Brown had passed, mm -hmm. Board of Education, it was supposed to have been with all due speed, but it was, I'm not sure it still has happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty slow. It's very slow. <clears throat> um, and so, um, he came and got me, and I lived with him a while. I lived with my sister a while, and eventually they said, um, you need to stay with your father, need to take care of you. He was single, and that wasn't working very well. By the mm -hmm. time I got to middle school, it was pretty rough because we lived in the deep inner city. Uh, my junior high, Watermaker Junior High, where I started middle school, junior high. Uh, was on Life magazine at one time. They compared it to Blackboard Jungle. Mm. Um, you know, it was it was rough going to school every day. <laughs> to be honest about it, uh, there was no social promotions. So you might be in, you know, sixth grade, and uh, you might have someone in there that's fourteen years old. You know, who show up whenever they wanted to. <laughs> Just kind of something to do, a place to go, I suppose. Right, yeah, and yeah, challenge things. But anyway, and so that wasn't working out very well. So my family, my siblings were a little concerned about me. So I was going, and my father wasn't supervising very well. So I was going to go back south to live with my aunt and grandparents, back to Saluda. Mm -hmm. And I had had a sister another sister who had gotten married to uh, a guy in the Air Force who was from there, South Carolina, who uh, got stationed in a place called Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> and so um, they met me back down south and brought me to Lincoln, Nebraska to live with them. They were a young couple with two kids. Mm -hmm. My my experience in the years have been quite different, you know. I you were how old then? I think around twelve. So sixth yeah. grade, seventh grade, something yeah. like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I went to Whittier for a year, so yeah. And so I um, I came to live with them, and our experiences were a little different. They were a young couple, had two kids, and um, I was fortunately to get involved with some very caring people in the community. By the time I was getting ready to go to high school, it was they were called the Destinaires and Le Cheremis with Miss Bullock and it was some some very caring African American um, people in the community mm -hmm. and some very caring uh, white people in the community, like Warren Urbaum, Y. Scott Moore, Shirley Marsh, just mm -hmm. to name a couple. Mm -hmm. As well as Leola Bullock, Miss Edgerton, uh, the Maxies, the Adams, Colonel Adams, and Miss Adams, and others, to name a few. 
um, they, it was a mentoring program. They noticed that there weren't very many kids, uh, African-American kids, who were going to college, and their goal was to prepare, to try to encourage and try to find opportunities for us to go to college um, and to encourage us to, to get uh, the kind of grades that we needed and so forth and to find the teachers things like etiquette and all those kinds of things and we would have a banquet every year and, and I got really involved in that my senior year and it's very successful to be honest about it because I look at some of the people that were involved in that uh, several became teachers in Lincoln Public Schools. Uh, one is a professor at Donham, Marilyn Johnson Farr, Dr. Marilyn mm -hmm. Johnson Farr. Uh, Joni Rich taught for 30-some years in Lincoln Public Schools at Elliott, and there were others. So it worked, and um, we didn't have a lot of funds and so forth. But I remember um, I had never had positive, very positive interactions with white people before I came to Lincoln, Nebraska. It was not, it was a very antistic, antagonistic, very antagonistic kind of uh, relationship. Um, it was, um, you know, it's kind of a code of conduct in, in, in the South with elders. And mm -hmm. the thing I remember as a young person, my grandmother, who I just, you know, and my aunt, who was, you know, they were elders. And, you know, whites would come by selling produce and so forth. And and I remember kids that were, I mean, they were kids, you know, 10, 12 years old maybe, you know, the way they responded to my aunt and grandparents, like, gal, what do you want? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And that's mm -hmm. that breaks the code. You don't, you don't do that, you know. And I remember... At the time, it didn't feel right, but as I got older and studied, you know, the whole, I studied sociology and history and, and, and minored in African-American uh, history. Um, and, you know, and to that whole plight, you know, of the, uh, and, and, and understanding that and looking back on that, so I had not had that kind of experience, and then to have this experience with the Destinaires and Sheremies, where there were people who genuinely cared about me, you know, um, the, the Martives, you know, who was um, the son and, and daughter-in-law, uh, the son was the, was the son of the former mayor of, of Lincoln, Martive, so the, and Warner, Obama, and Shirley Marsh, and these people to be in their homes and having them treat you with dignity and actually care. You know, they felt like they treated you like you were their child. So it created a whole different perspective for me in, 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 in seeing people and realizing what relationships could do. And it has had a great impact on my work and my pers perspective as a teacher, coach, and administrator who in the last 20 some years, my primary job has been to try to bridge those gaps mm -hmm. cross-culturally. And, and I had that cross-culture experience. So um, I was very involved in that. And I was, um, and going into high school, um, my relationship was getting rocky at home with my 
Sister Lily, we're young. And um, I really wanted to be involved in that more. And, and eventually what would happen is that I would, I would leave. I would kind of run away. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I left with, my, um, with one of my friends, and he took me to his home, and his parents said I could stay a while until I got a room somewhere at the Y or something. They were elderly uh, African-American family. And um, Pete Peterson, who was like a big mentor to me, he was the first African-American policeman and city councilman. And, um, and so he had been, uh, had taken me under his wings as well as Miss Bullock and others. And so he told them that, you know, I would eventually go to court and um, the principal at Lincoln High at the time was Mr. William Bogart. And uh, he had, I, they had to get approval from my father for me to become a foster kid, basically a state ward I ended mm -hmm. up being. And Deanne Kern's father was the judge at the time who he, he uh, gave that status to me and, and be helped to facilitate that because he wanted to make sure that the family I was with, that they, you know, got some support. And so I would end up all the way through college until I got married with that family. I still consider them as my other family. Mm -hmm. I have interactions with them, you know, the, their kids. Uh, um, I had foster brothers and sisters and their kids, I'm Uncle Thomas just as my sister's key biological is I'm Uncle Thomas, so. Mm -hmm. um, but I never will forget um, that um, because I had all these experiences, and I've, I've counted one time, it's about seven homes I had lived in uh, with families. And um, so I had a lot of transition. Um, and we talk about stability and mobility of kids in school now and the impact that it has. And um, I didn't get the education that I probably should have gotten or could have gotten because I was, wasn't stable all the time. Yeah. And so uh, there were people who probably didn't believe that, you know, if you had told them then I would be where I'm at now, they'd have thought you were crazy. <laughs> but I had people who, who supported and believed in me. Um, all through that transition time, Mr. Bogart, who was the principal my senior year, knew that I wanted to go to college. Um, but I don't think he was aware that that my counselor had not uh, put me in as many college prep classes that I needed to be in uh, to prepare for that. Um, and so, but he took me to Westland and said, give this kid a chance. And it, he took me in his car himself. Drove really? Me yes. I said, love that story. Said, I can just me see Mr. Kid. Bogart doing that. He did. And I will never, you know, forget that. Uh, uh, he, uh, he was principal he was or principal at Lincoln High. At Lincoln High. At Lincoln he High had been the principal at Woodier, too, at one point. Had he been at Woodier? Yeah, I've forgotten think, yeah, that. He was principal before Sam Nelson. Yes. Okay. For years. Yes, long time long principal time. at Lincoln High. He took me, uh, he's the one who talked to my father that, with the social workers so that it could, you know, approve me to become a foster kid. But, um, 
And he knew the missions person there. And so I ended up going to Westland because of that. Um, it was it was meant to be. I, I don't know how, how else I would have. And I went there and I played football and, and um, I, um, it was a struggle at first. I ended up graduating with a B average, but the first year was a struggle, the first six months, because I thought that, you know, you're in college, you, you, you've got freedom, yeah. you know, you're in a dorm, <laughs> you can do. The, the, the deal was, though, and it, ha it really set my philosophy on expectations and, and, and so forth, and this little story will make sense. Um, I played football, mm -hmm. and uh, I was fortunate to do that, and I played a lot. My freshman year, I made the traveling squad, and I remember um, Coach Chapey coming to me saying that, um, okay, your counselor called and said that, um, <laughs> that you know, you may have a hard time, you know, of, of, of you know, Weston's very academic <laughs> school. And um, and I remember hearing that, and and it really frustrated me, you know, that she would call and say that. And um, so, about the first four, four, five weeks, you know, when you got your first indication of grades, I wasn't doing very well. Mm -hmm. And um, and the reason I wasn't, and I tell this story to kids sometimes, the reason I wasn't was because I was trying to do were kids who came from all these small towns who had had all the AP classes and, yeah. you know, and so forth. And I was trying to hang out with them. You know, they study for half an hour, half an hour, and they say, let's go get some pizza. Let's go here. Let's go there. So I'm trying to go with them. They were, I was on the football team with them. And the problem was that, you know, they were way ahead of me. And so I tell folks this. So I had to learn the hard way that, um, and so I, I reached back and I realized later it was that great philosopher, Satchel Page, who said, if someone is ahead of you, you have to run faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, and so I realized that I couldn't do what they did. So if they, you know, I would have to study two or three hours and seek out help and find ways you know, from others and willing to, you know, share and so forth with me and, and their notes and all of that and learn how to take better notes and so forth. And that's what I did. And, and I started to improve in uh, my study habits and so forth. And, you know, I spent a lot of time catching up, but I realized I had to run faster. And I used to use this you know, talk to my students about that. I had a saying on my wall, it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what's important. I remind me of Sprinter, you know. You get a lot of them, they out, run out there fast, but, you know, they may not finish in the finish line, so. Well, I, I would say you have, you're finishing well, although you're not finished. But you finished the, uh, the the race with the school as well. Thomas, you were coach. Um, talk about how you related to your 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 wrestlers and what you expected of them as students as well as as athletes. 
Yeah, I um, I watched many great athletes who were way better athletes than I was. Never went to college or graduated from college. They weren't as fortunate as I was. I watched, and I'm not just talking about in Lincoln. I'm talking about across you know country, state, who um, who the expectations were very low, um, and so. My life lessons that I had up to that point was that um, um, that studying was important and doing homework was important. So I started before practice. Um, all my wrestlers would have to come to my room for an hour or so for study hall. And parents loved it, teachers loved it, um, um, administrators liked it because um, Kids could go, they were tired. I mean, they wouldn't get home to 7 o'clock at night or, you know, or later. And uh, by the time they relaxed and studied, if they went home, they might have went with some friends for a while. But I didn't want any kid to be not eligible, uh, have the opportunity if they qualified to, you know, for college or something. So we did that every day. Um, so I started this, you know, study hall program. And they would come to, come to my room and... It worked out for them and me because, like, if they had to make up a make up a test, they didn't have to miss practice. Mm -hmm. they, they could go make up their tests. Kids who over in this corner who had English things to work on, they could work with each other, math over here, and um, so forth. And they they liked that, and it was a time to kind of get that done. So when they went home, uh, if they still had more, at least some was done. Uh, and it sent a message to them as well. Also, it always bothered me, to be honest, it still does, that faculty meetings, coaches would miss faculty meetings. And I would tell the kids, you know, my primary job is to teach school. You know, I would even share with them, I'd say 90, 98% of my salary or more is for teaching, not for coaching. Mm -hmm. You know, it's extra standard. So I says, I have a faculty meeting, and I would have assistants that were not teachers, you know. So they would monitor the study hall. And it's interesting because teachers would come, and, you know, they were willing to come and talk to the kids and share things, you know, bring their homework to them or whatever. And it, it was it really kids. I still have kids I see in the community who talk to me about that. You've shared something uh, of the I people. never missed a faculty meeting because of that. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a bonus in your check, your final <laughs> paycheck. For I felt good about it. <clears throat> you, you've shared something about uh, Lincoln that, um, it, that, that I have observed, but I haven't lived it because I'm white and so on. But you've, you've talked about the, the care that people have for... Uh, each other here. Uh, what other aspects of the community have you observed that you think are really positive? Well, one of the things I think is important, even though there are some, there is some uh, suspicion, apprehension, um, when I first moved here, Lincoln was pretty segregated. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an area, it was the Malone area, it was called T-Town. Um, 
and there were folks that, um, you know, you didn't, you couldn't buy a home off, you know, south of Old Street, and some people did, like the Maxis and Colonel Adams, who was a Tuskegee Airman. Uh, he eventually did, but it wasn't a good, you know, it wasn't a, a, a positive uh, experience at first. People, you know, were not happy about it. Same thing with the Shanks, who just had to get someone to kind of um, interfere for them. I mean, uh, uh, intervene for them to buy a house right on Randolph. Mm. Uh, I mean, Randolph, right off of 27th and Randolph, because you just didn't do that, you know. You could only swim at Muni Pool. You know, you weren't welcome in a lot of places. So, um, and then there was the idea that uh, my my foster parents used to live like on about 22nd and T Street. And, you know, urban development, there was this idea that it was going to bring a highway through, which hasn't come through yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of the African-American community had to move out. Uh -huh. But one of the things that I think, I remember being on the Parks and Rec board, and there was a, a there was a, an amendment to the Parks and Recommend, uh, uh, Recreation Board to um, that all new developments have to have so many uh, low-income homes, mm. you know, and that still exists. Um, you right across from Scott Middle School, there are these apartments, but many of them are low-income now. Across from Adams, the same thing. I think it's very positive because, unfortunately, you know, where you live has a lot to do with your finance as yeah. well as your education. Um, I brought a lot of people from scholars from around the country who are amazed that, you know, the school system that we have. They're amazed that, you know, um, the physical qualities of schools. There, there are no bad physical schools in, you know. Yeah, they're well, they're well maintained. They're well maintained. Uh -huh. uh, the old has class. Um, you know, they take old schools and not destroy them, but mix the old and the new, where they become a treasure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you have new high schools, but who have these, you know, these large uh, uh, auditoriums, but the grandmother of them all looked like you think you're in Carnegie Hall at Lincoln High when you walk in Ed there. Ed Sorensen Theater is an amazing it's place. Amazing it is place. beautiful. Oh, yeah. It is a beautiful space. Yes, We've is. done TEDx there for youth several times, and it, we always want to go back. Absolutely. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I mean, that's an example of, and, and that's one of the oldest schools. So, you know, the, the quality of schools, education, um, is second to none. And like I say, these scholars come and they just can't believe it. Uh, we try to, you know, maintain. And it's constant learning and growing, I think, that people work at. Um, it's, we're having growing pains because we're not a small city anymore. Um, 
the chief and I are on several committees together. And chief of police. Chief of police. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a Westland grad. We both are on the exec committee of Westland Alumni Association, and and he attends the mayor's multicultural advisory committee, which I've been on since its inception. And um, it's it's people still think we you know they want it to be. When I first came here, there might have been 80,000 people or maybe a few more in their, in the 60s. Yeah. But, you know, we're about 300,000 now. It's it's not a small city anymore. And so, but compared to other cities, um, I think that um, I've been fortunate to travel to a lot of states. And, um, I think people care. I think there's a sense of caring. Like I said, the education, the, um, the, um, the cleanliness of the city is um, really high quality. And people like you. Well, and people like Dr. Moore here, who um, was one of those persons who helped to make Lincoln Public Schools what it is. Um, um, the whole idea, I mean, we have some of the best multicultural literature in the country and the scholars come here amazed. We have something called a mosaic, which Dr. Moore was part of, um, helping to create and we still have that in place where we review uh, the top diverse books in the country, award-winning books, and we infuse them into our system, into our libraries and so forth, media uh, centers. Uh, as well as into the curriculum. Um, those things make a difference. Um, so, Thomas, we're, um, we're recording this in late May, and uh, over the weekend, some 2,500, 3,000 students will graduate from Lincoln Public Schools, and they will, uh, they'll head off to college, or they'll head off to the armed services, or they'll um, take a first job and, and start the next stage of their lives. And of course, um, one of the goals in this city is that we keep those bright young people in Lincoln, knowing some will go to college, but we'd like them to come back afterwards. And um, within your own family, you had a, a son who left for college but came back to Lincoln. You have a daughter who left, and I know you've tried to tempt her back, but she's not coming back. So um, when you just think about the young people that you know, what, um, what keeps them here? What would attract them back? What, what, what does Lincoln need to do to, to keep, um, to keep our, our young folks and to attract more young people to this community? I think quality jobs. I think um, quality care and relationships. And I, I, I see that, you know, I think the fact that we, we're becoming maybe the middle America um, tech of the, of, mm -hmm. you know, of the country is going to make a huge difference. It is making a difference. Um, but I think, you know, the idea of relationships as well as... Um, things that millennials can do in the next generation that, they, that they're attracted to, um, whether they can have 
the kind of entertainment they enjoy. I think the Pinnacle Arena, uh, which I was told when it was built, was one of the top bills in the country at the time. Um, I think that has made a difference, bringing, bringing some of the entertainment that young people like. I think many of the diverse places to eat has made a difference. Um, uh, for my son keeps me um, uh, up to date on the most recent restaurants. Okay, you can do a little promotion here. What's what's on Johansi's list that's also on your list? Well, uh, we both like sushi, so uh, when there's a you know a new sushi restaurant, we definitely know that. I took him to one that he didn't know about, which is a, a Vietnamese restaurant in North Lincoln. What's really unique about Lincoln is that it's growing both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, some cities grow one way, yeah. but it's growing north and south. And um, um, there's this, it's called Dats. It's, it's on North 84 out by the High V out there. And um, so, and we that's a Vietnamese restaurant? Mm -hmm. I've not heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's right it across list. from uh, the, that water hole out there. Yeah. It's right across from there. Okay. It's, really, it's, it's, it's really a nice little place. So we're always trying to do restaurants. What I think is going to be also along the idea of food, which a lot of young people see in other cities when they travel, is that uh, the food trucks. Yes. I think that that's, yeah. you know, if you make, I think making Lincoln feel like a, like a big city, and I think Pinnacle does that mm -hmm. as an example, the Haymarket, uh, people who've been gone and come back here that I, I've seen, they're just amazed with the Haymarket area. You oh, go yes. to the Haymarket, you don't feel like in Lincoln, quote, unquote. Yeah. It feels like a whole new place, mm -hmm. like it's, like you're in a city. Big I was at a place last night right on the uh, Antelope Valley, actually at the Hub Cafe. Mm -hmm. That's another gem in, in our city where they um, opened that back up and, and turned it. Yeah, there were just a constant stream of people biking yes. and walking yes. and skateboarding yes. and just having a great time in that yes. park. Same thing. I, yeah. And like I said, and housing. Yeah. Um, I still think, you know, my, my daughter, you know, start having a family or married or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that because the chance of buying, she's in D.C., the yes. chance of getting, buying a home in D.C. is <laughs> like, I mean, you know, what you... You could buy five of them here. You could buy five of them here. And but, that is not an uncommon story, that when um, a young person leaves and they live in a large urban area and they have great jobs and great opportunities and so forth. Um, and then when they hit that stage of life where they become a parent, it's like, oh, maybe maybe there's a better place to raise a child than where exactly. I am right now. And having a home makes a difference. Yes, it does. And you know, the other, when I mention about the schools, but also the renovation of the city, I'm on the uh, Neighborhood Works Board, and it's amazing the work yes. that they do. It oh, is. yeah. Uh, what they're, you know, how they're helping to revitalize, you know, a lot of the city that 
that, you know, it really tore down for a while. I mean, some of the places they're building and modernizing, and it's really making Well, they do a combination of fixing up current homes and, and putting building. new ones in, yes. and I yeah. really appreciate that. I think, you know, both, both NeighborWorks and Habitat for Humanity, in terms of uh, making an impact on an individual family's life, yes. but also making an impact in a neighborhood when, yes. you know, just almost like lot by lot by lot you improve a block and that yes. improves mm -hmm. the street and that improves the neighborhood. Yes. That's an extraordinary investment yes. and a lot of that is done by volunteer labor, labor and volunteer contributions. Absolutely. It's an amazing investment in housing. It's amazing, yes. We've talked a lot about positive things and, uh, and I appreciate the, the, the story of your life. I hadn't known that before today. Uh, is there something you think Lincoln could do better? Or the people of Lincoln, not just, not just the city council and the mayor, but what could we do better as a, as a community? I think Lincoln is no different than the micro of the nation. I don't think it's any different than the nation and what I'm going to say. I wish, I think Lincoln needs to figure out how to have more cross-cultural relationships, um, genuine cross-cultural relationships. I know what it did for me and I know what it did for the people that, that did it for me. Yeah. Um, they had lifelong lasting relationships uh, that not only that, you know, when you got a relationship with one person, there's an African proverb, the friend of a friend is a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, even you may have a relationship, but, you know, I have a relationship with Dr. Moore for years, but all the people I know, they know that I have a relationship with Dr. Moore, so they have respect for her, too, yeah. even if they don't know her. But they, if they hear her name, oh, Thomas, like, you know, it works that way. Mm -hmm. So I wish there was a way that socioeconomic, cross-cultural relationships, whether it's ethnic, whether it's gender, whether it's uh, orientation, whatever, that there was better cross-cultural relationship. Because when people get to know people one-on-one, -on -one, and um, my foster mom used to say, Sam Thomas, you're lucky to have uh, two friends in your life. You better hope your spouse is one. <laughs> and um, you can have more friends, but the only way you can have them is have those personal relationships. You can have more than two. Uh, and most people call people friends, but I always say, I, I uh, presented with, with some people uh, uh, to Boys State every year, which will be coming up in a week or so. Uh, we, 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 Frank Lemire, myself, and uh, uh, former mayor of Lincoln, Don Wesley. Don Wesley. Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Don. Forgive me, Don. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> when I say Don Wesley, you could make sure. Yeah. Don Wesley, and um, we present the Boys State every year, you know, and um, and um, it started with Aldi Johnson, who, who that's a whole nother discussion yeah, because a I, that's a whole nother story because he was ahead of himself. Him and Colonel Adams started an African-American history class at Lincoln High, which I ended up teaching 
and all he said, I know, I know the history, but I don't know. You have the affected piece mm -hmm. of it. So I took it away. When he, um, we became very good friends and shared a lot. But I share this story because Aaron Zabawa, who's one of our administrators in one of the middle schools, Lux, he eventually, now he, he uh, organizes Boys State. And I, I talked to the kids about relationships and, and cultural proficiency and cross-cultural relationships. And I say lots of people talk about um, having friends. They, they meet someone and they say, oh, Thomas is a friend of mine, or this person's a friend of mine that's, that are different than them because they met them. And I say, if you're a friend, it's interesting. You need, when you know someone, and I'll take out my cell phone and I'll, and I'll dial and it ring, and it's Aaron's Aaron answers. I say, you know, when you're a friend, I would think you would know the person's phone number, you know, <laughs> or where they live, or you've been to each other's home, you know, you've been to dinner together. And, you know, I says, and I encourage them to develop those kind of relationships as an example because uh, lots of people talk about people. Many of these kids are from small towns, and then Flint come back and talk about you know, the whole indigenous relationship and, and not knowing the first people in this, you know, that well. And what they know about them is not a personal relationship. So I think that it would be really important if there was a way for, for more cross-culture. One of the things Leadership Lincoln and Project All has done, I think, has helped to create some of that. Mm -hmm. That um, I was in class six and uh, I watch, you know, every year I, I notice that they try to uh, have a diverse group of people. Uh, um, my class um, was the class that created the youth, that, uh, the youth program. And one of the things I emphasize, and I don't know if they still follow me, but was that, um, that every class would, of the youth group would have someone at least from the four major culture groups, Asian, uh, Latino, African-American, and Native, that they would mm -hmm. at least have one student from each of those, at least one from each of those four categories. So, because well, sometimes you have to intervene. It doesn't happen through osmosis. Yeah, You have to do some things, and you can call it whatever you want to, but you know, when, when like, requiring the city saying you're going to build a new development then how many homes are you going to have for low income if they didn't do that those people wouldn't be able to live there you would not have those create those and we would be more siloed than we are very more siloed. Yep, absolutely. well thank you very very much i just really have enjoyed this conversation thank you thanks thomas